I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Alexis Roan Fancher coming to us from L.A. She writes erotic poetry, she does street photography, and she is a lover of all things bent. Author of four books of poetry with a new one coming out in March called Junkie Wife to be published by Moontide Press. Since 2013, Alexis has been nominated 20 times for a pushcart. Pretty amazing. And Alexis' erotic poetry gave me the idea that perhaps we should look into poetry that has been banned over the ages. And so that's our short feature today. Stick around. It's going to be a good one. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature poet today is Alexis Rome Fancher. She is published in over 200 publications, including Best American Poetry of 2016, Rattle, and I love this. She's in the Nasty Women Poets Anthology. Uh, she's also got some nominations for Pushcart Prizes and other awards, but I don't want to spend too much time. We want to get to the poetry. She describes herself. Oh, she's from L.A., by the way. Los Angeles, that is. Says she lives in the same zip code Bukowski used to live in. And uh, she describes herself as a compulsive writer of erotica, an irreverent photographer, which is also published in some good literary magazines, and a lover of all things bent. So, Alexis, I'm really glad you're here. We can talk about these things and hear your poetry. <laughs> Thank you so much, Charlie. It's a pleasure. So um, let me start with, like I said, I thought your self-description was a really neat place to start for people to get a feel for you as we move and then move into the poetry. Um, a lover of all things bent. What are some bent things that... Uh, appeal to you? Hmm. Uh, I like things that are off-center. I think most of us are off-center or, you know, straddle it, but I don't know. I like, I like odd things. I like freaks. I like um, uh, gender fluidity. I like, um, I don't know. I, I, I really like white men. Uh, which is not a very kind or uh, uh, politically correct thing to be uh, in love with. But, um, you know, that's kind of bent, at least for now. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You're off, you're off the appropriate norm there. Uh, does this mean you like, uh, by just for instance, like a more experimental kind of music? Or I, I like John Cage, you know, I, I like that sort of thing. But mostly I'm a jazz fan. I am really, really, really into mid-century jazz. Um, Miles and Moe's and Bill Evans and uh, Coltrane, uh, mm -hmm. Mingus, um, all the West Coast people. Bill, uh, you know, just um, yeah. you think Booker, Booker Evans, uh, I mean, Booker Elvin. Um, you know, um, Eric uh, Goffey, um, much more than modern music. Yeah, it's my yeah you're naming all the important people. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah we could enjoy listening to music together. No problem. <laughs> okay, now, that takes care of a little bit of the bent things. Now, how is your photography irreverent? I shoot two 
completely different types of photography. I mm. shoot street photography, and mm. I'm I'm well published with sorry, that's a little back. Uh, in my street photography, I live downtown uh, in downtown LA, and in a block away from Skid Row for uh, about four years, and. I would just go out every day and I would shoot with my uh, iPhone. Uh, nobody knew I was shooting. I'm an older woman and people tend to find us invisible, which I have always used to my favor. Um, I, I, I just kind of want to show how crazy life is and how people interact. I also shoot in a studio. I have my own photo studio with a very uh, outrageously expensive Nikon camera and softbox lighting and, um, you know, so I shoot very high-end portrait work as well. So, so you'd be a good person to do book covers and, and album covers then probably. I haven't done any album covers, but uh, uh, the poet, New York poet, Tony Glugler's new book will, have, will feature my photography on the cover, uh, Rebecca yeah. Shumaji's Latest book has my photograph as a wraparound for her poetry book. So it's out there and I do accept commissions. So take note, folks, because uh, Alexis knows what she's doing. Thank you. And the third characteristic you attribute to yourself is a compulsive writer of erotica. <laughs> um, uh, when I started writing seriously for publication, uh, 2011, 2012, I started sending work out and I would do readings and I would always read very erotic work. And I did a reading where you know, people were starting to come and see me and hear me. And I also write elegies. Um, and decided at that particular reason, reading, I was going to mix things up and read an elegy. And afterward, five different people came up to me and said, you know, we like that elegy, but that's not why we're here. We're here for, for the sex. We're here for the tintillation. We're here um, to get turned on. And I thought, well, that's my niche. Um, okay. And I pursued it. Okay, I guess the um, you know the poems you sent me would certainly go over well at any reading, um, just like this reading. So why don't we get to uh, get to some poems? Well, I think I'm going to read um, the poem you uh, you mentioned, the Nasty Women's Poetry Anthology, mm. um, which is a spectacular book that just recently came out with some much bigger poetry names than my own. Um, like um, Kim Adonisio and uh, mm -hmm. just brilliant, brilliant writers. And this is the poem that they uh, chose to publish, which by the way, also got published in the New York Times. So go figure. That is very cool. How did that happen? Did they just find it in the anthology? Uh, no, it's way before the anthology came oh, out. Okay. It was right after uh, He Who Shall Not Be Named was um made uh, uh won the election yeah. quote unquote and um a friend of mine said that at the in the opinion section of the new york times they were accepting poetry that dealt with the election and she said you got to send them that pussy poem so i did and they published it and i was just like oh my god um so i'm gonna read i prefer pussy 
Sounds good to me. I prefer pussy, a little city kitty ditty. I prefer pussy as in cat, as in willow, as in chases a rat, as in raised on a pillow. I prefer pussy as in riot, as in foots, as in pussycat doll, as in puss in boots. I prefer pussy as a twat it is not, nor is it a beaver, a clam, or a cleaver. I prefer pussy to nookie or gash. It isn't a box or a cave or a slash. I prefer pussy to snapper or snatch far better than taco or slit or man catch. I prefer pussy, though rosebud's not bad, and muffin sounds homey, and cooch makes me glad. I prefer pussy, as in whip, as in flower, as into it you slip, as in I have the power. There you go. <laughs> that's really that's really nice. You got you got a lot of good sound play in there. Mouthfeel, yeah, kind of no, like I mean, wine. It, yeah, yeah. You started with the end rhymes, but then you started weaving around and, do, and doing other things. So that's 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 always a great thing to see. Well, someone and, sent me a a list. They were going to do a um a, an anthology. Um, called the devil's doorknob, I think, which is another euphemism for pussy, for, you know. Um, and they sent me a list, maybe 40 different words. Yeah. And they said, choose one or two and write a poem. And I chose like 40 and had a very good time. <laughs> so that's where that came from originally. And at the, at the end, you mentioned something interesting, which you uh, commented on in some one of your notes to me. Uh, as into it you slip, as in I have the power. And you mentioned that when you're writing about sexual things, you're really writing about power. Always. Always. Elaborate on that a little bit. I write a lot about power, and I use sexuality to make my point. I couch the poems, the power poems in sex. Uh, I believe it was um, Oscar Wilde who said, everything is about sex except sex. Sex is about power. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's that's my, my forte, I guess. It's how I see the world, how I kind of face it, vagina first, you know? And, um, All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I just was wondering how you saw it and wanted to get you to say more about that. All right. Well, let's ask you another poem. Uh, this was a real change of pace. This was um, originally written for the San Pedro River Review, um, who had turned me down a couple of times and had a Mojave Desert uh, issue they were uh, themed issue they were uh, requesting work for. And I said, I'm going to write them a poem they're going to have to take. And it ended up in Verse Daily last uh, recently, which was one of the most thrilling events of my year. Uh, it's called For the Sad Waitress 
at the diner in Barstow. Beyond the kitchen swinging door, beyond the order wheel and the pass-through piled high with bacon, hash browns, biscuits and gravy, past the radio tuned to 101.5 AM all country all the time, past the truckers overwhelming the counter, all grab ass and longing. In the middle of morning rush, you'll catch her in a wilted pink uniform, coffee pot fused in her grip, staring over the top of your head. You'll follow her gaze out the fly-specked plate glass windows, past the parking lot, watch as she eyes those 16 wheelers barreling down the highway, their mud guards adorned with chrome silhouettes of naked women who look nothing like her. The cruel sun throws her inertia in her face. This is what regret looks like. Maybe she's searching for that hot day in August when she first walked away from you. There's a choking sound a semi makes when it pulls off the highway, that downshift, a death rattle she's never gotten used to. Maybe she's looking for a way back. Maybe she's ready to come home. But for now, she's lost herself between the register and the door, the endless business from table to kitchen. She's as much left over as those sunny side eggs, yolks hardening on your plate. Kerouac would definitely call it lugubrious. <laughs> Thank you. One of his favorite words, you know. And uh, yeah, you imagine an interesting scenario. I, when I went back over it again, well, what exactly is with this woman? I really focused on inertia and regret in that little bitty two-line stanza. That seems to have gotten a lot of attention. People, when I read that poem or they read that poem, uh, focus on those lines. You know, they say it just kind of stands out. Well, I, know, I was just trying to think, well, what's really going on here? You know, what's the story or the essence of the story? And that, yeah, that seemed like it was pretty close to the essence there. I find that I'm writing more and more waitress, sad waitress poems, um, just kind of um, finding a, an affinity. Um, when I when I was working out in the world, kind of working, I was an advertising executive and I worked on straight commission. And I remember going into Denny's after losing a huge account and you could work a whole week and then be in the hole because somebody canceled. And I remember sitting at Denny's and looking at this waitress in this little pink uniform. And I thought at the end of her shift, she has money. You know, and I, it, it really started me thinking about what it is to be a waitress in the world. So I think that poem became more than I'm going to get myself into the, the magazine. I think it became kind of an anthem. Mm. You know, I, a lot of people identify with it. It's been published probably six or seven times now. I don't well, know. You suggested that you sort of gave yourself an assignment 
because the magazine had that issue coming up. So you said, yeah. I'm going to do it by God. Um, did you use your memory or did you actually go out on the scene? Uh, I used my memory uh, for that poem. I have traveled a lot between LA and uh, Las Vegas and Barstow yeah. is on the way. And I also, when I was writing it, I, I like to do research. I'll do 20 pages, uh, pages of research for a single page poem. Um, I remember looking, Googling um, waitresses, diners, um, and I, I just made myself a file and looked for photos that were evocative, that made me look at that waitress and wonder what was going on in her head yeah. day after dreary day. You know, and, and then I saw her like looking out past the head of the person at the counter and looking out onto that highway with those big old semis and dreaming. And yeah. there you are. Yep. And there's the bone. There it is. All right. Yeah. All right. So the process is always interesting to me. And, and uh, in my own case, every once in a while, when there's a, a noticeable left brain component to the poem, like doing the research, or even to the extent of giving yourself an assignment, I will write a desert poem. Yeah, I, you know, and even if but it's I a get this. assignment, you know, yeah. People, you know, I, I had a, I, I have a new book coming out, and my publisher wrote me, and he said, "I'm in a bind. Uh, I need you to write a poem." Um, and he sent me a photograph, and he said, "This is going to be a, a show at Whittier College in the spring, and it's a collaboration between photographers, poets who write mm -hmm. to the photograph." And then musicians who are going to make up music to go, and it'll be a big thing. And he said, I, I, you know, I need it in 10 days. Is that enough? And I like that. I like to write to something. Um, it gives me a focus because, yeah. you know, otherwise I'm just kind of looking at stuff that I've just started or things I wrote before or sometimes just looking at that blank white page after I've finished something that I love and now what, you know, now what, where do I, what do I, and then somebody will, I'll see a photo or something that'll spark, you know, just something in my brain and then I'm going for it. But that blank page, scarier than shit. <laughs> uh. You were talking about work styles and work tasks. It, it may not, be great what you come up with, but if you give yourself an assignment, you will do the assignment at some level. Yeah, especially, you know, know I, is it good enough or not? But, you know, you, you do get something done. I in write every day. Blank. Yeah, sure. I sure. said, I, yeah. I get up at 5, 5.30 in the morning, sometimes earlier. Yeah. I do a small meditation. I take photos of the sunrise, which here I have an Eastern view of the Port of LA, Port of mm. Long Beach, um, and the sunrises are glorious and make myself a cup of coffee. And I go to work for four hours every day mm -hmm. at minimum, um, working on my own stuff. It's, you know, ass in chair, uh, is my motto. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, and, and the muse is not coming. You know, I don't think of any fairy godmothers showing up on my shoulder. I don't wait for a muse. I make that muse show up. So, and I know other people write differently, but for me, nothing would get done yeah. otherwise. Gotta have real discipline. I'm a double Virgo. 
you know, so maybe that's maybe that's why for people who are into astrology, I'm not not sure. Uh, okay, what do you want to do next? Um, I'm going to read a poem um, about my sister, and I I started wow. writing uh, sister poems uh, a few years back. My sister is a, a a real good sport and she has no problem with me writing about anything that she and I've done. Oh, we, we hung out in Europe for two years together. We traveled, we lived together. Um, I have written probably 30 sister poems now. And this was the second one I ever wrote. Um, the first one ended up in best American poetry. So Yay. Um, this one, uh, you said you liked, so I'm going to read this one, which oh, I love too. Um, it's, it's just interesting and funny and insightful. It's just... It's it. called When Your Mother Convinces You to Take in Your Homeless Younger Sister. She will date your boyfriend. She'll do it better than you ever did. She'll have nothing but time. He'll start showing up when you leave. Train her to make him the perfect BLT, crusts off avocado on the side, encourage his cheating heart, suck his dick so good, he'll think he's died and gone to Jesus. Your sister will borrow your clothes and look better in them than you ever did. Someone will see her with your boyfriend at the Grove, agonized for days before deciding not to tell you. Meanwhile, He'll buy her that fedora you admired in Nordstrom's window, the last one in your size. When you complain, your mother will tell you it's about time you learn to share. While you're at work, your sister will tend your garden, weed the daisies, coax your gardenias into bloom. No matter how many times you remind her, she will one day forget to lock the gate. Your cat and your lawn chairs will disappear. Your mother will say, it serves you right. Your sister will move into your boyfriend's big house in Laurel Canyon. He will ignore her and she will make a half-hearted suicide attempt. You'll rescue her once again. Your mother will wash her hands of the pair of you, then get cancer and die. Smell the white gardenias in the yard. Cherish their heady perfume. Float them in a crystal bowl. Forgive your sister as she has forgiven you. Yeah, I like that poem too. Um, I extremely, <laughs> extremely love that poem. If Thank I were listening you. to this podcast, I would rewind and, and listen to it again. Thank you. Yeah, it, it makes me laugh. <laughs> brings up a new issue or something. It's just, you know, not, not just the cat, but the lawn chairs disappear too. It's just, it's a hoot. I had it's someone uh, email me recently to tell me that that was her story. It had happened to her, except it wasn't the cat and the lawn chairs. It was the dog and the hose. <laughs> Seriously, I thought that was so cool. She says, yeah, that happened to me too. Wow. <clears throat> okay, well, well, well we, have, we have time for another one. What would you like to finish off with? Um, the famous poet. Well, that's certainly timely. Uh, I, I, yeah. All the harassment stuff in the news. 
There are four or five, I think four of them have been published. Um, a couple in diet, a couple in um, something in swim. Um, I started working on the famous poet uh, series after one of my very dearest friends, mentor, he shall not be named, um, was one of the people in these poems. And um, I figured I could just write about it and how outrageous it was. And then all this Me Too and people, right. uh, you know, this whole thing now, and I have to say Me Too, um, but I write about it. And if they didn't want me to, they should have treated me better. You know, it's kind of like that. Yeah. But this one, this one is said with love because I love this poet. Anyway, the famous poet asked me for naked photos. One, you are a forbidden planet, he says at the bar after his reading when all his satellites have gone. He drains his third martini. I smile. Encouraged, he puts his arm around my shoulder, confesses, he can jack off to a photo only once. He needs a constant supply. Two. The famous poet smells musty, shop-worn. He pops a breath mint, runs a hand through his silver mane. You are my muse and savior, he says, right after he tells me his second wife no longer likes to fuck. He smooths an aberrant bang from my forehead. Are you clean shaven? He asks, staring at the mystery between my thighs. Or do you roll au naturel? Three, the famous poet wants me to take a selfie in the ladies, pull my skirt up and my panties down, and I admit it gets me wet. Like him, I'm not getting any at home. I want to wrap my legs around his head. Four, the famous poet swears his wife is cool with his serial betrayals, that they inhabit different countries in the same small house. But I've seen his wife at parties, how his philandering makes her flinch, the face of desperation choked down, Sylvia Plath style, the face that wants me to suffocate like Sylvia did and watch, the face that says, once I was you. <laughs> uh, you yeah, I do like your poetry. This has been really enjoyable. Thank you. So, so glad to meet you here. Can and, I mention uh, that I have a new book coming out? Yes, please do. Okay, um, I have a new book coming out. It's a chapbook about my first disastrous hell of a marriage in which I am totally responsible. Um, it's called Junkie Wife, J-U-N-K-I-E, like Burroughs Junkie, not mm -hmm. chunky like that. Um, it's called Junkie Wife. It's being published by Moontide Press here in uh, Southern California, and it'll be out next month. Get it on Amazon or at Moontide. And uh, I think it's my best okay. work my most salacious. Um, before it starts, it says, no names were changed because no one was innocent. Well, that's good. So, Well, I'm sure people will enjoy it because 
you basically uh, tell it straight and uh, pull no punches. And uh, that will make it an extremely interesting book. Thank you very much. I hope you'll yeah. enjoy it. Okay, so thanks again. And I'm Charlie Rossiter. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. We've been talking with Alexis Roan Fancher from Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter. We've been visiting with Alexis Roan Fancher from Los Angeles, California. And now I'd like to take a look at some poetry books that have had some censorship issues over the years. Banned Book Week, you know, comes up once a year, and it's it's actually a few months away. It's not till September 23rd to 29 this year. But I thought it might be interesting to look into some banned poetry books because so often during Banned Book Week we get programs that to me seem to bring up the same the same publications. You know, Huck Finn ran into censorship problems, Catcher in the Rye, that sort of thing. I thought, well, something different that people interested in poetry might care about is poetry books that have been censored. I'm working with two sources here. The website of the Academy of American Poets, that is poets.org, and the American Library Association Office for Intellectual Freedom. Uh, They have lists of banned and challenged books. And just here are a few, just to like plant the little seed of idea that maybe it'd be something with these poetry books you could do in your community, or you could find some other poetry books that have had some censorship issues. Let's take a look at a few. Here's Le Fleur de Mal, published by Charles Baudelaire in 1857. And 13 of the 100 poems, it says here, were arraigned for inappropriate content. Ultimately, the court banned six poems as being too erotic, and they were not published uh, for another 10 years. Different editions came out, but those poems were held back. Interestingly, a judge uh, (laughs) said that the real issue was their realism. The judge said they would necessarily lead to the excitement of the senses by a crude realism offensive to public decency. He was just too good. He was going to be turning his readers on too much. They just couldn't have that. Interestingly, on our very first podcast, we took a look at Gwendolyn Brooks' poem with the uh, pool players, commonly known as We Real Cool, and it was banned in schools in Mississippi and West Virginia in the 1970s because the next to the last line has the phrase, We Jazz June. And somebody figured out that they thought jazz had a sexual connotation. Now, Miss Brooks, in an interview, claimed that's not what she was thinking. She merely was thinking that these guys just were irreverent and would disrespect and, and not care about anything that like normal, regular, old, straight folks would care about. So she thought, what's the most innocuous thing? Summer. Summer's nice. People like summer. June. Well, these guys would jazz June. So she's saying they're essentially saying, eh, forget you, June. You're too, you're too bougie for us. But anyway, it, it was censored. Uh, you may also be interested to know that, of course, D.H. Lawrence ran into censorship for his novels, Lady Chatterley's Lover and The Rainbow. Interestingly, when his collection of poems was published, there was a sequence of war poems that attacked politicians 
and criticized World War One. That is why that book was censored when it was first published, and for quite a while, the poems were not available. So if you get D.H. Lawrence Complete Poems now, and you find something called All of Us, a sequence of, a sequence of 31 more poems, they were censored. And of course, we know that Howell ran into censorship problems in the mid-1950s. An interesting aside to the publication of Howell is that Lawrence Ferlinghetti, in anticipation of the book being controversial, checked with the ACLU ahead of time to get a confirmation from them that they would defend it in court if the book were challenged and censored, which they did. And as you know, Howell got off clean, was considered a not an obscene publication. So these are just a few examples. You can find many more. And I hope perhaps this stimulates you to uh, look into banned poetry books from over the years. And maybe in your neighborhood, you'll read one sometime during Banned Book Week in September. I'm Charlie Rossiter. This is Poetry Spoken Here. Join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>